Choir, thank you so much. Welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. Thank you for taking the time to be here this morning. It is so good to see you, and you're spread all over the place. Finally opened the entire worship center. We are so grateful. We are so grateful. Thank you for your patience during this time. If this is the very first time that you have been here, we'd love for you to take the card that is in front of you and just fill it out. As you leave today, just put it in one of the offering boxes at each of the exits. We would certainly appreciate you doing that so we could acknowledge your being with us. At the same time, uh, in the pew in front of you, uh, there is another envelope. That is for Mission Dignity. Today we are celebrating Mission Dignity, and uh, there are a lot of folks who don't have a clue what that is. Uh, it's kind of changed names through the years, but basically in Southern Baptist life, we have had faithful ministers who have served for many, many years in rural areas, small communities, places where they didn't make a whole lot of money. And uh, either that couple when they retired or the widows of those pastors just have a hard time making it. And Mission Dignity was developed a number of years ago for Southern Baptist churches to gather together and to, uh, to give not only a special offering, but some folks give on an ongoing basis so that over 1,900 uh, participants, either couples or uh, widows, are on a monthly basis are given a stipend to help them just to buy groceries, to get gas, to do the things that they need to do. My mom was a recipient of that for many years. Uh, my dad died... Gosh, right before, he, uh, right before he retired from ministry, and she lived another 30 years, and if it hadn't been for that, I tell you what, she would have had a very difficult time. Uh, so we are very, very thankful for Mission Dignity. So today, we would love for you to take that envelope and just uh, sometime during the week uh, or today, just write out a check. Put it in it. You can drop that in one of the offering boxes, or you can give it in uh, to uh, another day for an offering, or you can send it directly to uh, the uh, uh, Guidestone Financial Resources, which is our, our uh, Southern Baptist Convention uh, retirement um, agency. And, uh, but we would prefer you just to drop it in here. That'll save you a stamp. And uh, that way we also know what our church is doing to try to help in this endeavor. So you'll see a video a little bit later on, but I want you to make sure, take that home with you, be praying about it, and see what you could do to help uh, some of those who have spent years and years in service. Well, I'll tell you what, I wonder if you might do me a favor. You're settled in very nicely. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would. All right. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and uh, then I want you to remain standing because we're going to sing some, some good songs and uh, continue our time of worship and celebration. For you that are on live stream this morning, I'd probably go ahead and encourage you to stand, get out of that couch or chair, and let's, uh, let's enjoy this time of worship and celebration together. Father, thank you for the time and the opportunity that you've given us to come and worship. I pray that today, uh, everything else uh, that uh, is going on in our lives in our region, and Father, in our country, that we'll just try to push that to the side. And today, at this hour, we would concentrate on hearing what you have to say to us through the power of your Spirit. Through all the different elements of this worship, God, I pray you would speak to us. We would be open and to hear. And Father, not only to hear for education, but Father, to hear for the challenge of service. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a beautiful morning to worship the Lord, and it's a wonderful morning to worship his name or to study his word. I'm glad that you're already standing. Let's sing together.
is a day that he has made. We will rejoice and be glad. It's a wonderful morning to sing to the Lord. This is a day he has made. Yes, we will rejoice and be glad. Yes, this is a day he has made. It's a beautiful morning to worship the Lord. This is a day he has made. It's a wonderful morning to study his word. This is a day he has made. This is a day that he has made. We will rejoice and be glad. It's a wonderful morning to sing to the Lord. This is a day he has made. Yes, we will rejoice and be glad. Yes, this is a day he has made. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of Lords before thee, opening to the sun above, melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Give her of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. All thy works with joy surround thee, earth and every flag thy rays. Stars and angels sing around thee, center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, flowery meadow, flashing sea. Singing bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in thee. Give yourself wholeheartedly to the work. We'll stand back 
If you fall in the work, we'll care for you. If you die, we will not allow your family to suffer. If you grow old in the work, we'll comfort you in your declining years. Throughout the past century, donations from people like you and churches like yours have met the needs of Mission Dignity recipients. These heroes of the faith have served steadfastly during their ministry years, shepherding churches, caring for others, and sharing the gospel. And I always wanted to have that as an epitaph for my tombstone, passing through who preached the word. From one generation to the next, Mission Dignity has served devoted pastors who were paid very little and were barely able to afford their monthly bills. I have went bed hungry because I want my bills paid. I've got to pay for my bills. In recent decades, many pastors served and still serve churches at the crossroads of small towns, inner cities, and remote places receiving very little income. I didn't have a mega church, but I had a mega home. Additionally, this past year has been especially difficult for recipients who found themselves sheltering in place in the pandemic. Isolated, lonely, and afraid to get out among people, even to go to church. As it is written in 1 Timothy, these laborers are worthy of double honor. The wonderful thing about giving to Mission Dignity is that 100% of your donations go to the recipient. The Lord uses it in a great and mighty way. Your gifts make a tremendous difference in the lives of God's choicest servants. And Mission Dignity serves them by providing financial support, sending care packages, making wellness calls, and meeting emergency needs such as medical, dental, and home repairs. I want to thank all of you who are helping us. Mission Dignity is essential for our God bless you and God bless the ministry of the mission dignity. Give honor. Give dignity. Give today. Text MD Sunday to 41444 or visit missiondignity.org. Will you pray with me? Our holy God and loving Heavenly Father, first this morning we come to thank you for these precious men and women, God, who gave their lives so selflessly, Father, in your service. And Father, many of them, as our pastor said, did not make very much money across the years. And so, Father, I just pray this morning that each one of us, as we consider and pray about what we should give, Father, that we might be generous in giving, Father, because they served you well. And Lord, I pray for each person who's here this morning now, Father, that you will just still our hearts, calm our spirits, Father. Lord, would you take away and push away for us all the anxiety, all the rancor, all the chaos that's in our world today. Father, just help us to focus our hearts, our minds, and our spirits upon you, Lord. 
God, that as we worship you, that it might be done in truth. God, I pray for so many things. We have so many needs, and Lord, they're too many too, numer too numerous to mention. But God, I pray for each person here this morning. Father, help each one of us that we might live our lives, Father, in ways that are pleasing to you. Help us, Father, that we might reach out to our community. There are so many, Lord, who don't know you. And we can sometimes be so complacent in knowing that, quote, we're okay, Father, but we need to care and to love others. God, would you help us to heed the Great Commission? Even though we may be older, Father, we still have the opportunity to tell so many people about you, and I pray that we might do that. This morning, I pray especially for our country. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, that we would not as Christians be engaged in the anger and the division that are here. It's such a sad thing to see. But God, that instead that we, again, might be that light. That instead of being angry, Father, that we would pray for all of our leaders, for everyone who is in any kind of position, God, that they might, if they don't know you, come to know you. That you would convict their hearts, God. Help them so that uh, our country might return to the days when we were a country that loved and honored you, God. I pray for our service this morning, and especially right now, for our pastor. As he brings your message, Father, God, would you bless him. Give him your words from your heart, God. Help each one of us to take them in and to listen, God, and to learn, but not only, as he said, to learn, but to take these things into our own lives, God. And if there's one here that does not know you, that this might be the day that they would come to know you in a very personal way and that their life might be changed. Father, we love you so. I just pray again for each person here. Help this to be a good day of worship for all of us. For it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. That is our prayer this morning. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory, pour out your power and love as we sing holy, 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 holy. 
Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him no power of evil can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul. Now I belong to him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Once I was lost in sin's degradation, Jesus came down to bring me salvation, lifted me up from sorrow and shame. Now I belong to Him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Joy floods my soul, for Jesus has saved me, freed me from sin that long had enslaved me. His precious blood he came to redeem. Now I belong to him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. of time alone, but for eternity. Good morning. When we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, we make him Lord for everything. Because if he's not the Lord of everything, then he's really not Lord at all. Number two. Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. The kingdoms of my heart.
In my heart are kingdoms of a world that's all my own. Kingdoms that are only seen by myself and God alone. In the past when I tried to rule my world, it just seemed to fall apart. So please, Jesus, be the Lord of all the kingdoms of my heart. Jesus, be the Lord of all. Jesus, be the Lord of all. Jesus, be the Lord of all. The kingdoms of my heart. I guess I only fooled myself, for I said I've yielded all. But in a secret corner of my heart was a kingdom that did not fall. I surrender now, make my heart your throne, rule its kingdoms great and small. For if you're not Lord of everything, then you're not Lord at all. Jesus, I surrender all. Jesus, I surrender all. Jesus, I surrender all. The kingdoms of my heart. Jesus, be the Lord of all. Jesus, be the Lord of all. Jesus, be the Lord of all. The kingdoms of my heart. For if you're not Lord of everything, then you're not Lord at all. Donna, thank you so much. Such a beautiful, beautiful song. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us today to, to come and be a part of this time of worship and celebration. And Father, the, the words 
that we have just heard. They give us pause because most of us here, and probably most that are watching, have asked you to be their Savior. But Lordship is different. And I pray that this morning they'll take the words of the song and, Father, the words from your word and give us an understanding of Lordship and also stewardship. And, Father, also servanthood. Help us not to leave this place, Father, until we understand what your word says and see the examples in Scripture. And then, Father, in our own minds and our hearts, make the decisions. The decisions that would please you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just outside of a little town of Pulaski, Tennessee, the date was November 27, 1863. The accused had ridden in a wagon on top of a coffin that he soon would be buried in. A gallows had been built on high ground, and a young southern soldier stood on a trapdoor with a rope around his neck. A Union soldier had been chosen to spring that trap, but he didn't relish the job. He, like many of the northern soldiers, that were gathered there together had grown to love and to respect Sam Davis. Looking over the soldiers, that Union soldier offered all the money that he had for anybody who would take his place, but there were no takers. In the distance there were hoofbeats, hoofbeats of a running horse and there were among the soldiers gathered there the hope as they were almost holding their breath that this would be a reprieve. It was a message from General Dodge saying one last time, Sam Davis, if you would give us the name of the Union officer that gave you those special papers that you had in your possession when you were caught we will let you go free Samuel Davis's answer again was pointed he said if I had a thousand lives to live I would give them all before I would betray a friend the day before Davis had spent the day and the evening with a chaplain. It was during that evening that Sam Davis asked the chaplain if he would be willing to sing a song that was his mom's favorite hymn. And so together in that cell, they sang, On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye. To Canaan's fair and happy land Where my possessions lie No chilling winds nor poisonous breath 
can reach that healthful shore. Sickness and sorrow, pain and death are felt and feared no more. I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. Davis had deep faith. But now we see Sam Davis with the hangman's noose around his neck. He looked over at the Union soldier who was hesitant. Historians write that Davis said to his counterpart, It's okay. I did my job. You do your job. And without the door sprung and Sam Davis died. He died because of his loyalty to a friend. I believe that as believers in Jesus Christ, we ourselves have to have that kind of loyalty and integrity. We've got to have that kind of loyalty and integrity so that as it permeates our lives, we and people around us understand that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our life and that we would never betray him. It is also that kind of integrity and loyalty that we must have to submit and kneel down to allow Jesus Christ not only to be the Lord of our life, but for us to be his servants. We must truly bring together into our lives lordship and servanthood. So what is a biblical lordship? kind of interesting what Jesus said in John chapter 13 verses 13 and 14 you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for this is what I am now that I your Lord and teacher have washed your feet you should also wash one another's feet lordship the word Lord comes from a Greek word we understand as kairos it means supreme authority the suffix ship means a state, a condition, or an office. Literally, one who is entitled to a specific rank or title. So, therefore, lordship means that Christ is entitled to the rank and title of being lord and having supreme authority in your life if you are a follower of his. Let that sink in for a moment. We love the idea of salvation. That Christ has forgiven us of our sins and we have life everlasting. But there are some of us that might think, gosh, but you know what? I can still go and kind of live with my own desires. I, I may go to church every Sunday, but you know, part of this life I live is still mine and I'm going to enjoy it. And yet with that identity, that understanding, if we're really going to make Jesus not only the Savior of our life, but also the Lord of our life, that it means that he is entitled to the rank and title of being Lord and having supreme authority in your life as a follower. Paul stated in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God and to the Father. This gives us an understanding that not only here on earth should we strive, take the actions to allow Jesus to be the Lord of our life, but in heaven, or at the point where every single person passes from this earth, or when the Lord comes back, the scripture is telling us that at that point, every tongue will acknowledge. Now personally, I think it would be a much better idea if we went ahead and acknowledged it now as believers in Christ and say, you know what, I want the Lord to be to my, the Lord of my life here and through my life, not just when I get to heaven and say, oh my goodness gracious, he really is. Lord of all. And for those who don't know Christ at all, there is going to come a time, a place, that you're going to kneel down and you're going to say Jesus is Lord, but you're going to spend an eternity away from him because you did not receive him even as your Savior. Lordship is critical. The Apostle Paul gives us understanding every tongue every person. When I was a senior in high school, I had a, uh, one of the lead roles in the, the musical Guys and Dolls. And um, it was tedious. Our director, Mr. Sheets, Robert Sheets, he was, he was intent on details. He was passionate about drama and passionate about music. And I tell you what, he would, he would bring us on stage and we'd come in having memorized our parts and he would tell us, okay, you need to stand here. And if we slouched off a little bit, he'd say, would you get back over here? <laughs> he would tell us what kinds of expressions that we should have. He allowed us to use our personalities. He allowed us to use some of who we were. But as far as the details of where we would stand and, and what our sh expressions should be and how we should listen to others and how we should have that dialogue back and forth and how we should look at the crowd, all of that was the director's responsibility. And he fine-tuned it and fine-tuned it until finally we were ready to bring the message and the joy to the crowds. And I think in some way... It's the same way for us. Jesus being the Lord of our life means he's the director of our life. He is the one that through his word and with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, he guides us to accomplish the tasks, the ministries, the words, the message that we're to present using our talents, our spiritual gifts, and our personalities to communicate them, but he is the, the one who is orchestrating. He's the one who is directing us if we allow him to be the Lord of our life. Otherwise, what happens is that I choose to go the direction that I want to go. We must not try and steal the show with our own annex, but rather, we ought to be about the Father's business. I think there's some great examples in Scripture about individuals who not only gave Christ their lives, 
but followed him as the Lord of their life. I think of Mary Magdalene. Acts chapter 8, verses 2 and 3 says, And also some of the women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary, called Magdalene, whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cruza, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Here we have Mary Magdalene. She had had seven demons, the scripture says. You read all kinds of commentators what they have to say, but in reality, we'll for today just give an understanding that she had some kind of uh, a mental disability, some kind of uh, a mental illness of kinds, uh, prone to maybe depression or, or just swings of depression and joy, possibly bipolar, who knows. The reality is that she had all kinds of things that were going on in her. As I read different commentators, they would give these vivid pictures of what she might have looked like before she met Jesus. But let me tell you, when Jesus cast those demons out, they were gone. And from the time that they, he cast them out, she followed Jesus and had Jesus as the Lord of her life at every instance that we see in Scripture. She's mentioned 14 times in the Gospels. Eight of those times she's mentioned with other women, but she's always first on the list. In the five times where she's mentioned alone, it is always in relation to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. She stood close to the cross with Jesus' mother. I don't think any woman superseded Mary in her utter devotion to the Master. I think she's a wonderful example of Jesus as the Lord of her life. When Jesus changed her, she was submitted to him. You are the Lord of my life. We see that in the instances. I also think of Mary, the sister of Martha. In Luke chapter 10 and verses 38 through 42, the scripture says, And Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where there was a woman named Martha who opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Please tell her to help me. <laughs> Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only few things are needed, or indeed, one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. There's a lot of things to do in preparation for life, for hosting like Mary and Martha was doing, for ministry, preparations for services, for Bible studies. There's a lot of preparations, but Jesus said there's really indeed only one most important, and Mary has chosen that. What is it that Mary did? Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Mary was spiritually attuned. She knew the importance of spiritual priorities. She hung on every word that Jesus said. 
As we get into the scripture and we read scripture, we want to hang on every word that God has in his word. We want to understand what it is that God is saying to us and how to live life. We want to hang on those words, not just say, well, I think my idea is a better direction to go. Here we find Mary, the sister of Martha, she had this understanding of what was the priority. And Lord was priority. In Mark chapter 14, verse 45, it shows her devotion to Christ, that she was a conduit to others coming to Christ. In verse 45, it says, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. She had a lot of connections out there. When Lazarus died, her brother, and Jesus raised him, there were many who had come to console her, but they saw what Jesus did, and they chose to be followers of Jesus. Her personality was such that she would say, listen, look what Jesus has done. It's not about me. It's not about my sorrow. But see what Jesus has done. He raised my brother. He can be your Lord as well. Mary's complete devotion led to her giving sacrificially as well. In John chapter 12, verse 3, the scripture says, Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Guess what? It brought outrage from Judas who carried the money for the disciples. He would love to have seen that in his, in his till. But in verse 7, Jesus said, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. If you remember, that was Judas' response. We could, we could have done lots of ministry with the poor. But that's not really what Judas wanted to do with the money. And Jesus said, listen to what the most important thing is. Mary understood the idea of the Lordship. She was spiritually attuned. She gave sacrificially. I think that was captured by a song that Charles Wesley wrote. Listen to these words. Oh, that I could sit forever like Mary at the Master's feet. Be this my happy choice, my only care, delight, and bliss. My joy, my heaven on earth is this, to hear the bridegroom's voice. It's this hearing of his voice, the reading of scripture that should be alive, exciting, enthusiastic response on our part for his word. Look to the Apostle Paul, if you would. He's on the road to Damascus. He is ready to take those people belonging to the way, those Christians, and put them in prison. Ultimately, maybe death for some. He was excited. He was passionate. He was zealous for Jehovah God. He was going to make sure that those who were dissonants and trying to split Judaism would pay the price. But all of a sudden, there was this bright light that came over him. And those who were with him, well, Scripture says that he fell to the ground. He was blinded. It says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, 
Lord. I am Jesus of Nazareth. In chapter 22 of Acts, the first part of verse 10, he says, What shall I do, Lord? Granted, that term Lord in verse 10 is a term used for someone who is higher, somebody that is uh, of uh, a higher rank than he was. It was a term of respect. But as we see the rest of the Apostle Paul's life, at this point, it changed its meaning to become the Lord of his life. Because from that point on, the Apostle Paul, all he did was focus upon planting churches and bringing people to Christ. It's important for us to understand what lordship means. It changes us. We're no longer the same. Not only did the apostle, or to Saul, who would become the apostle Paul, give his life to Christ, he allowed Christ to be the Lord of his life, directing him where he wanted him to go. And that's why he was the world's greatest church planter ever. I think about Jesus. He himself submitted himself to the Father's will, leaving the glories of heaven, coming here to earth as Savior. In John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. John chapter 18, verse 37, Jesus is before Pilate. You are a king then. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came to this world was to testify the truth. Everyone on this side of truth listens to me. Jesus, he heard the heart of God. He says, Father, I will go. It appears that when we talk about lordship, we're having an understanding that we are to submit ourselves to one as the Lord of our life, who is the Son of God, who is the creator of all, and he is to direct our, 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 uh, everything that we do. And on the surface, it seems like that that is a contrast to servanthood. But it's really not. I want to talk about the biblical servanthood, what it means biblically. The word servant comes from the Greek word diakonos. It simply means the act of serving. The suffix, again, means a state, a condition, or a character. Therefore, servanthood means that a Christian's character should be that of a servant, one who serves Christ faithfully, selflessly, and in humility. Faithful servant to God presupposes humility. That is in contrast to pride. Oh, I can do this. With God's help, I can do this. Somebody's really has this idea, this sense of humility about themselves, you won't have to ever hear them say or write or communicate in some way, I humbly blah, blah, blah. It doesn't have to be that way. Because you automatically know this person is a humble servant, and it's shown by their actions. 
their deeds. He who serves in a position of dependence and his freedom is, is limited. That is a kind of a picture in our mind of servanthood. But let me tell you this. The Bible says it completely different. See, it's different than what we would communicate in the world in which we live. For us in the Bible, it makes it very clear that a person who is a servant has been freed from the dominion of sin and the dominion of the law. And therefore, he finds true freedom in service to God. And that service to God is absolutely critical. Not just when we want to do it, not just when it's easy, but when we give our life to Christ, and we take on that understanding of His righteousness, we become humbled because that's what we have to be when we give our lives to Christ. We have to have humility for him to be the Lord of our life, and we have to have that humility when we become his servant. Otherwise, we're going to take a different angle and we're going to do things our way. True freedom comes in service to God. Paul said in Romans 12, 11, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Galatians 5, 13, he says, through love, serve one another. In Matthew 20, 20, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. In John chapter 12, verse 26, Jesus said, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. That sense of honor that we so much want, that sense of freedom that we desire, it all comes from humility and obedient service to God. That he's directing our paths, our desire. We still have the freedom of choice. We still have the choice to do what we want. But as we look at lordship, and as we look at servanthood, it comes into this understanding that the very best for us is to understand his word and live it out through the power of his spirit who lives inside of us as he directs us what to do. And sometimes that means it's on the spur of the moment that all of a sudden God opens a door and we're going to have to say, I've got to get into there. If I'm going to be obedient, I've got to, to go while the door is open. And sometimes he gives us an understanding long term. This is what God, what I want you to do. And you prepare for it. Let's look at some biblical models of servanthood. I want to go back to Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, in, in Matthew chapter 27, verses 55 and 56, the scripture says, Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. There we have her. From the point that Jesus cast out the demons, she was a follower. And what specifically hit me was his, her caring for his needs. That's what a follower does. Just be obedient, help. Use what we have to accomplish God's plan. 
In Mark chapter 16, in verse 1, the scripture says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. They weren't anticipating the resurrection. But here again, we have Mary Magdalene leading the list of ladies who go to the tomb, not expecting it to be opened, but they were going with the spices to anoint Jesus' body so that it would preserve itself. Caring for the needs. You go to verse 9 in Mark chapter 16. It says, When Jesus rose early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. In John chapter 20 and verses 1 and 2, here's a clear picture. Early the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. Again, she is right on the spot, wanting to serve, even though her hopes were dashed, the disciples' hopes were dashed, they saw Jesus crucified on the cross. But she still was his servant and would go to great lengths. And so she was there. I believe that Mary Magdalene was so thankful for what Jesus had done for her that she served him by following him, helping to provide for his needs, planning and preparing his body after his death, and then communicating the message of Jesus. I think that's what a servant does. Even when your hopes are dashed, even on those bad days when things just don't seem to go right, even on those days when uh, our friends or even fellow believers just don't seem to, to give us the great encouragement that we need, it didn't matter. Because being a servant of Jesus means I'm going to serve him regardless. I want to go back to Mary, the sister of Martha, in, in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 and verse 7. It's, a, again, a very interesting example of servanthood. We read about it in a different passage earlier, but I want you to listen. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among them reclining at the table. Then Mary took that pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. I didn't talk a lot about this earlier in the sermon, but I, I, want, to, I want to talk about it here for just a moment. You remember that a servant's duty in the old days, and if you didn't have a servant, then you did it yourself. But it basically is when they came into the house, they were to take a basin of water and wipe their feet down and wash their feet. Here we have Martha very busy preparing this huge meal in honor of Jesus. Lazarus 
life again, sitting at the table. And what did Mary do? The one who had sat at Jesus' feet, hanging on his very words before. She went and she took this perfume and she broke the jar and poured it on Jesus' feet. And with her long hair, she wiped the feet of Jesus. It is probably one of the most profound acts of humility and servanthood that she could imagine, that I can imagine. That perfume was a year's wages. You think about how much in your working life you made in a year. That's what she gave to Jesus. It seemed like a wasted thing. That's what Judas thought. There were probably those in the house that thought, man, that is a lot of perfume in here. <laughs> but what she did came from her heart. And Jesus gave the understanding. In verse 7, he said, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. And that day was just around the corner. You see, she was grateful for the Lord bringing back her brother to life. She was grateful for the new life that Jesus had brought into her family and changed them. Gave them purpose and hope of eternity. And so she, her desire was servanthood. Let's go back and look at the Apostle Paul. Talk about a servant. Listen to the great lengths he went to to be faithful in obedience and submissiveness to the Lord Jesus Christ, the calling that he had been given. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20 through 28. Are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this, but I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. You know, I've been in ministry as a pastor for almost, not quite, but almost 40 years. I, all of these things, except for just maybe one or two, are foreign to me. 
the concern for the church or the pressure for that is always there. Some sleepless nights are there. Hard work is there. But some of these other things that he had to deal with, I've never had to deal with. The Apostle Paul, his heart, his passion was to serve Jesus, to let people know about the gospel of Christ, to do everything in his power, in his life. His life totally changed. He was a religious leader in Judaism that was high-ranking, highly educated, the rising star. But when Jesus came into his life on the Damascus Road, it changed everything. And he made Jesus the Lord of his life, and he made Jesus, made sure that he was submitted to Jesus as a servant. And so everything that he needed to go through, even to the point where we understood from historians that he was martyred for his faith, he was faithful. I don't know of anyone who served the Lord with more sacrifice, more faithfulness, and more passion. He was a servant. And Jesus he said I did not come to be served but to serve John chapter 13 if you go through then most of that passage it talks about Jesus washing the disciples feet verse 12 is a focal verse when he had finished washing their feet he put on his clothes and returned to his place do you understand what I have done for you he asked them you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that is what I am now that I your Lord and teacher have washed your feet you also should wash one another's feet listen some People take that as literal that you ought to have foot washings every so often in church. But what you really need to do is you need to put this in the context of where we live today. And that day again, it was a servant's responsibility to wash the feet of all of those who come into your house. And Jesus knelt down on his knees and he took a towel and a basin of water and he washed every one of his disciples feet in humility with the spirit of being a servant and so what are the things that you can do for others that shows that kind of humility it's not washing feet what is it that you can do to show people that you are a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ can you drop by and visit them can you fix something at their house can you take them to doctor's appointments can you spend time helping them in grocery shopping are there times that you can walk with them because they can't walk far what is it that you can come beside and encourage and help people? 
Jesus said, I've washed your feet, now you wash one another's feet. In other words, take on the humility of a servant and be a servant to humanity in the name of Jesus. Always in the name of Jesus. We're not just good people out there doing good deeds. We're good people out there doing the deeds that Jesus wants us to do to help them to understand that Jesus is the Savior if they call upon his name. It is the will of the Heavenly Father that we serve him faithfully. Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, You are not your own, you were bought with a price. <coughs> and so, in reality, if you've chosen Jesus Christ as your Savior, you, your life that you're living is not yours. You, you promised the Lord that you would be obedient to him. That's what you did. Not just to save you from the fire. Not just to give you, as the proverbial in the 70s, the fire insurance for eternity. But he saved you for an eternal life with him. And you were bought with a price. You couldn't, you couldn't get that yourself. It came one way, and that was with Jesus. And when you asked Jesus to come into your life, you said, listen, I'm going to do everything I can to let you be the Lord of my life and for me to be your servant. And I want to give 100%. We've seen examples of that biblically. And I think it's important for us to take on that responsibility and that obligation. I think if we're going to be loyal and have the integrity of the Christian walk, we have to bring together that lordship and that servanthood. It is imperative for the mission that God has given us, in particular on focus for us. It is for the mission of 2000 and 25 that we are re-engaging in after this last year. We have, we have stated and, and voted on as a church a lot of things to do by 2025, and it's time for us to gear back up to do that, but it's going to take Jesus as the Lord of our lives and we as his servants to accomplish that as well as enlarge the kingdom of God. And so today is a day that we bring together lordship and stewardship, and I would ask you, boldly in your mind and your heart that you say and submit to him you can do that privately right now in the pew where you are you can say God man I want to be a part of that I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life I want to hang on every word of his word and I want to show that by action even if it's sacrificial and if it costs me something because I know that it's the right thing to do. You've commanded it. And I know in eternity, it's going to mean everything. So in the pew or in a moment when we stand for our invitation, I would ask believers here to make those decisions and make them, make them sincere between you and God. Our invitation will also be open if any, is anyone here today that would like to give their life to Christ or follow through in believer's baptism. We encourage you to come. I'll be at the front looking forward to talking with you and helping you in those decisions. Or if today you want to join this church, be a part of a church that has a vision for this community and beyond, then I ask you to come and to make that decision today. So we want to be a part here. But I ask you, if you would, to stand. And as we pray and then as we sing, you come. Father, we ask you through the power of your spirit that you would give us the courage and the integrity today to say, God, I'm going to do everything in my power
to allow you to be the Lord of my life and in humility a two servant of yours so that when I read your word and it it challenges me to action that I go to that action and I in whatever ways that you lead me awash the feet of the people that are in this church and in this community it's in the name of Jesus we pray Jesus is Savior and Lord of my life, my home, my glory, my all. Wonderful Master in joy and in strife, on Him you too may call. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. Lord of my thoughts and my service each day, Jesus is Lord of all. Blessed Redeemer, all glorious King, worthy of reverence I pay. Tribute and praises I joyfully bring to Him the life, the way. Jesus is Lord of all, Jesus is Lord of all. Lord of my thoughts and my service each day, Jesus is Lord of all. Let's go ahead and be seated if you would. As we get ready to leave, Nancy has a few opportunities of ministry for the times ahead. And I just want to encourage you, as you think about this afternoon, please be mindful of the invitation that the Lord has. Make those decisions, if you would. Miss Nancy? Next Sunday is Father's Day, and each man present will receive a special gift. We encourage you men to attend and bring sons with you, if you could. We would welcome that. Also, on Thursday, June the 24th, we will be having another movie matinee preceded by Chick-fil-A lunch. If you would like to have the Chick-fil-A lunch, the cost is $5, but please call the church office no later than tomorrow week, which would be June the 21st. We're open from 8 to 4, and we want to make sure we have ordered enough lunches for you. The movie this month will be entitled Faith of Our Fathers, Two Sons, their fathers fought together in the Vietnam War, and they're an unlikely pair, but they team up to take a trip to Washington, D.C. to visit the memorial and find their father's names. And they go on this trip, and they find out about redemption, faith, and grace. So I encourage you to be part of that movie matinee. On the 27th, two weeks from today, during the worship service, the choir will be presenting the patriotic musical, entitled Celebrate America. And then at the end, we're all going to enjoy hot dogs, a hot dog cookout. So I encourage you not only to come yourself, but to bring people with you. We're inviting the community. I promise you there will be enough food. Continue to pray for the choir as we finalize preparation. Pray for some of our men who have been ill and not able to be with us. We look forward to having all voices on deck 
and we're counting on your prayers. Sharon LaRose is going to come and lead us in our closing prayer as you stand. Now would be that time. <laughs> I know you've gotten settled. It's nice and cool. But if you would stand as we have our closing prayer. Bow with me, please, as I read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Lord, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>